0: Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. We are continuing in our identity series, and you know, in our humanity, we have this sense that we want to work out who we are. Stanley Grant, a modern theologian, says this, in the deep recesses of humanity's mind and heart, begs the questions of who am I and what is my purpose? So in this series, as a church, what we've been walking through is trying to answer these questions through the lens of what scripture tells us about our true identity that one of the key themes in the book of Ephesians, where we've been sitting for the last couple of weeks and in the next few weeks, is that in Christ is where our identity is formed, that our identity is not formed because of our external factors around us. So, so far, we have looked at the idea of that in Christ, we are chosen, and in Christ, we are saved. And today, we're going to look at another aspect of this identity, and that it is, in Christ, I am loved. And that the true identity in scripture and what scripture talks about is that I'm loved because of my position as a child of God versus the false identity that sometimes we can adopt, which is that our identity comes from the way that we perform in life. So today, let's continue in our um, passages in Ephesians. So we're going to go to Ephesians 3. We're going to read from 16 to 19. This is a beautiful Prayer that the Apostle Paul was praying over the church in Ephesus. And it's a prayer about love. And it says this, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long, and how high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that this love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In this prayer, we hear Paul's heart, and prayer is, he's saying, he longs for people to grasp the depth of God. He describes it as a love that is, you know, high and that it is deep, and that it is wide. It is a love that is so powerful that it surpasses our own thinking and understanding. It is a love, you know, that strengthens us. At the beginning he says that, that may strengthen you. And it's also a love that will fill us up to the fullness of God, to the full measure. There is a desire in each one of our hearts for love and to be loved. I would say that's true for me, that when I've, you know, I, I believe, I mean, I don't remember when I came out of my mother's womb, and, but there is a longing that looks for love from the moment that we are born. And humanity longs for this love that Paul talks about. You know, Mother Teresa, if you, she's a Catholic nun who spent her life dedicated to loving people who are the most poorest, going through the most all full of circumstances in life in the streets of India. She spent her life there and died there in Calcutta. And this is what she says about the poverty that she has seen in her whole life. She said, the most terrible poverty is the feeling of being unloved. The hunger for love is much more difficult to remove than the hunger for bread. We see our society seeks and hungers for this love in so many different ways, and I know in my life, when I have craved love, i move to the position of feeling like I need to perform, that I need to show people that I'm worthy of this love. And if I do this, this person will love me more. If I do this, maybe I feel more valued. So who we are is mapped out by all these um, external labels. You know, who I am, which is like my gender, my age, The colour of my skin, my education, the postcode I live in, the titles I hold over the time of my life, our worth and our value is constantly being reshaped and reassessed by our society all of the time. And sometimes I think we fall into this land of brand management. You know, my kids are like, Mum, don't post that on social media. It tells tells people this is about you. I'm like, no, it doesn't. Yes, it does. It tells people that you love to eat foods all the time. (laughs) I'm like, that is not true. But no, it is true, actually. But, you know, like, we are constantly being reassessed by the way that we live our life externally and constantly curating what our public image looks like. All the while, our inner life is craving for this love to be met. There's a post recently that I put up in social media on Instagram. This is a picture of my family. The last time we travelled before this thing called coronavirus hit the world, um, in 2020, we're in New Zealand, and part of our trip was we we're going to hike um, for a three-day hike. Um, that is my husband's dream, and the rest of the family followed, and um, it was great. And this is a picture of us, you know, starting our hike all ready to go with all of our gear, three days' worth of clothes and food packed in our backpacks, and we're ready to go. Look happy, right? And this is Rowie doing that. now. We got up to the top of the mountain, and we were like, "This is so good! Look at this expansive view." That was worth the four and a half hour hike to get up there. And so David decides—if you don't know my husband, Dave—he likes to um, explore. So he's like, "Well, great, we're here. Let you settle, everyone. I'm going to go and see what's around me." So he off he goes, and leaves me with the children in this hut, and we were setting up. It was awesome. And then comes my son, one of my twin boys, comes running to me and says, mom, 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 Rowie is bleeding to death. I'm like, what? What do you mean he's bleeding to death? I run outside and Rowie, who has just been given a beautiful Swiss army knife, decided that he would you know, do a bit of whittling (laughs) with the twigs, and and he's cutting and cutting, and then he cuts his finger. I did have a photo, but I decided not to show it to you because I don't think that's fair to your stomach at this time of the morning. And this is him um, getting all bandaged up. So what you saw on my social media post was us having a really great time at the top of the mountain. Yes, we made it, four and a half hours. It's true. We did. We enjoyed it up until the point where I didn't show it to you on social media, where my son is bleeding, according to his brother, to death. And so David's nowhere to be seen. I'm packing up all this stuff, and I'm like going, I think we need to hike back down. I'm talking like this is 2 p.m. New Zealand time. It's going to be a four-hour hike back to the car. Not sure if we'll make it before dark. And we don't know (coughs) where my husband is. That's exactly what was happening. Anyway, we're packing up, like, I'm just going to leave him a note and taking everybody down, right? (laughs) See you down there. Um, Anyway, he comes back just in time as we were taking off, goes, oh, don't be ridiculous, and welcome to the marital discussion of what we should do next with our child. He said, he'll be fine. Just wrap it up. Sleep with your finger up. You know, we'd be good. Don't worry about it. In the meantime, Rowie is, like, pale and crying, and saying, I can see bone, and I'm like, I can see your bone too. So, no, husband, I am going to take him. You can stay if you like, but I'm going. I'll see you in three days. Anyway, we all went down and spent all these hours, right, in the emergency in New Zealand, stitching him up. That is also the other side of the truth, of what you don't get to see on social media. It's all the discussions, all the pain that we went through. And we didn't make it in time. (laughs) and He's fine. He's got a really great scar to prove it. I don't know about you, but we live in a society where there's constant pressure all the time. And in this social media movement I'm experiencing at home with my children as well, Is this pressure for us to portray an image of who we are, a part of our identity, in a way, in effect, trying to earn an expression of love from whoever it is out there that sees it to approve us in some way. That we will have a a bit of a social standing with people. We do this sometimes really consciously, but I would say a lot of the time it's unconscious. It can leave us feeling a little bit exhausted. Where am I going? Okay. So I grew up For those of you who don't know, I grew up in a refugee camp, and I sit in this seat um, of performance all of the time. I sit in the seat that says, your parents escaped the Pol Pot war, you were raised in a refugee camp, and now you're here in Australia, the land of the promise. You are now given a path for success and future. Now, as a 12-year-old, I was like, okay, what does that mean? It means I've got to be the best. And I'm Asian, so there's a beautiful cultural heritage within us that drives us to always wanting to be the best, and that the best demonstration of who you are is the way that you apply yourself in everything that you do. So in that seat for a long time, these are some of the feelings and some of the things I was experiencing. Most of the time, I felt really insecure, that the only way I can prove myself is to secure myself in the way that I perform, doing well at school. I was striving all of the time. And I was on track to get, like, you know, at the time, this is how old I am, OP1, because I was this smart person, apparently, and I felt like if I strived and I get that OP1, I will make my mum proud that all the effort that she went to to escape a war as a single mum, lived in a refugee camp raising two kids, now come to a foreign country where we don't understand English, it's now time for me to actually strive and prove to her to honour her in some way that it's all good. I was hugely competitive. I'm no longer as competitive as I was. Andrew might think differently. And... um, I constantly feel like I'm never enough. Didn't matter that I got an OP1 or not, I wasn't enough. Because there's, once you achieve something, there's more to be achieved. It, it just felt like a continuous thing that I had to feel, and that's how I felt. And in this seat of performance, I found my value, my worth, and who I am, from what I do, you know? I I found that if I was that smart kid, if I performed really, really well, my friends would want to hang out with me, because it's cool to have a friend who's smart, right? Because they can help you with your homework, so that's cool. It's also cool in church, where I'm seen as a person who is highly smart, dedicated, committed. It feels good that people see, saw me that way. I found my value from doing. And when people say, what do you do? and What school do you go to? And how are you going with high school? I'm like, oh, it's great. You know, I think I'm getting OP1. It's kind of like a thing that I just, it's terrible. I know. I found myself really busy. That's all I was doing. I was working part time. I was studying all of the time. And I was serving in church. Like, my days was hectic and busy. I cared a lot about what people thought I really did the public opinion, and I misdirected the passion that was in me. I always grew up knowing that there's a passion in me to help other people, but instead I was so busy helping myself so that I could feel the love from the people around me. You know what, I didn't finish grade 12, I didn't get that OP1, I did eventually, two years later when I went back to high school, but I left. I left high school because it just got all too much. The pressure to perform, the pressure to be that child, to make your mother proud, you know, for that person in church to see you and your value was way, way too much. So that's the pull to perform is really, really strong. It still is strong. I'm not saying it isn't strong in my life. It still is strong but I also know that the power and the message and the story of the Christian faith is a lot stronger. What we read in here has a stronger pull to move us away from the sense of that we have to perform to be loved and to earn it, to the position that we are loved because of our position as a child of God. Dallas Willard says this, the most important thing in life is not what you do, it's who you become. That's what you take into eternity. So all the things that I would do, I can't take with me into eternity. But who I am is the, is the one that I have to live with for eternity. First thing we need to establish this morning is that God's love, this love that Paul talks about, this love that we see in Scripture, is available to every person that this love is for all. John 3, 16, it says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. And for those who do accept this love, Paul says that in Ephesians, he said that they are being rooted and established in love, that they know this love as they know this love, it surpasses their knowledge of wanting to do more and that this love of God strengthens our inner being. We are loved because of our position. So firstly, in Ephesians, as we've been reading, our position is established in love. Ephesians 3, 17, 18. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ. The narrative of Scripture tells us this. It tells us that God is love. 1 John 4, 16. And so we know and rely on the love of God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Secondly, Scripture also tells us, and this is probably one of the most pivotal things for us to, I hope that you walk away with today, is that we were created by God in his image. Genesis 1.26, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. So therefore, if God is love, he created us with his love. Love is a part of who we are as image bearers. Love is something that is built, inbuilt in us to have and to know. And therefore, our identity is rooted and established in love, like what Paul is saying. So scripture paints this beautiful picture of what the love of God looks like so if you're sitting here and you're wondering okay it's great you talk about this love of God well what does it look like Corinthians 13 4 to 8 says love is patient that's what love looks like it is patient it is kind it does not envy it does not boast it is not proud it does not dishonor others it is not self-seeking is not easily angered it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects. Love always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Psalm 18, 17 to 19 is probably one of the most beautiful picture in Psalms for me personally. It describes a God who loves, this is what, how he loves, that he would reach down from on high and take hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes, who were so strong, too strong for me. They confronted me day in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into this spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. It paints a beautiful picture of God's love that he would part the heavens and come and rescues us, that he's not this distant God somewhere. That's what the love of God looks like. In the parables of Jesus, there's a parable of the lost sheep. You know, there's a shepherd, he had a 100 sheep, and notices that one was missing. So he leaves the 99 and chases the one. That's what the God of love looks like. The parable of the prodigal son talks about a son who takes up all the inheritance and says, see you later, father. I'm going to live in this world. I'm going to perform what I want to do. I'm going to go and use up all my inheritance in the way that I want to. I'm going to leave your household. And so he does. And then he lives this life that he wanted and kind of didn't land him in a really good spot at all. So he runs back. He goes, if I can just go back, to my father's house, maybe, just maybe, my father might even take me in as a slave. He has no expectation that his father would take him back as a son, but as a slave. So he goes and walks towards his home. Scripture tells us, if you read the prodigal son, it says, when the father saw the son in the distance, he didn't kind of, he didn't say that he'd go, well, there he comes, you know, (laughs) I told you so. You know what the Bible says he did? It said that he ran. He picked up his clothes and he runs towards this son that has been gone, that took everything and had left him. This son who felt shame sees the father come running. I wonder what he felt. But the love of God is painted here that the father runs and runs and runs and they embraces him. He didn't say, I told you so. He didn't say, what are you doing here? He didn't say, you smell, get away from me. Actually, I don't want to hear what you want from me. You're not allowed in here. He didn't say anything. He said, you are my son. So he's, and he gives him a ring that signifies that he is his son. He's restored to relationship with his father. He's given the cloak. And the party was thrown for him. This is what the love of God looks like. If you ever wonder what the God of love looks, God's love looks like, there are replete examples in scripture that describes this beautiful love. Our value, you and me, our value is benchmarked when we were created. It's not benchmarked because we earned it. We read that we were created in his image, that we were created in love. And when the evil one came in the garden of Eden to distort this idea of love of God, God continues to demonstrate his love for us by sending his son Jesus. And through Jesus, the price that he paid, he permanently secures humanity's value in the place in God's family. 1 John 4.10, this is love, not that we loved God, but God loved us, that he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Another example, 1 John 3.1, how great, and I think PJ referred to this this morning, how great is the love of the Father that has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Galatians 3.26 For in Christ Jesus, we are now all sons of God through faith. So in Christ Jesus, I can now sit in this seat, a position in God's house, and that I am loved unconditionally. In this seat, I am approved by Him in this seat. I find my, my value from being his child. Romans 8, 17 tells us that through Jesus we are now co-heirs with him, that we are established as children of God. In this seat, there is complete assurance of eternal life. We read John three sixteen that whoever believes will have eternal life, a strong sense of assurance. In this seat, there is confidence. I now live in confidence. Hebrews 4.16 says this, that when you are in Christ, you can approach the throne of grace with confidence. The prodigal son, you know, didn't have confidence of what was going to happen, but then God demonstrated it. Yes, you can have confidence to come and be and live and dwell in my house. We too have that. We can approach the throne of grace, the grace of God, with so much confidence. Freedom, in this seat, as a child of God, there is freedom. In this seat, I feel secure. Galatians 5, 1 says this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free to stand firm. Then, and do not, do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. So a position as a child of God, we have been set free so that we can stand firm and be secure. In this seat, I can pursue passion. In this seat, there is fullness. We just read in Ephesians, it says that there's fullness of God in store for us. In this seat, there's complete fulfillment. In this seat, there is hope. John 10.10 says this, for the enemy has come to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life more abundant. This is where our perspective needs to shift. In this room today, I hope that our perspective is starting to change. That there is security, there is fullness of God when we sit in the seat of position. That who we are is that we, we are loved because of who we are, not because of what we do. This love is the anchor for all of humanity's identity. Thirdly, the power of love strengthens us. Ephesians three sixteen says, "I pray that out of His glorious riches that you, He may be strength, that He may strengthen you with power through Spirit in your inner being." God's love has the power to strengthen us and affirm our identity. There is a beautiful example of this in the Scripture. If you ever wonder about the Christian story, don't, don't go asking all of the time what it's about. You can do that. But read. Read in here. It's full of examples that will demonstrate to you the word of God is alive. It is real. So in Matthew, there's an example of Jesus being affirmed by God at his baptism. We're going to read in Matthew 3:16 to 17. It says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went out of the water. At that moment, the heavens opened. Here again, another image of God opening up the heavens for us to experience. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son in whom I love and with him I am well pleased. This is a really significant part of the gospel story. Before Jesus went and did his formal ministry, God affirmed him as a son. He made a public declaration. He is declaring that Jesus is his son, and that is why he loves him, not because of what he's about to do, not not because he he can do cool miracles, but because he is his son. This is a powerful statement for Jesus, right? He gets baptised. Having this incredible experience. The heavens open. God says, This is my son. I love him in whom I'm well pleased. For me, how I would say that for myself is I hear God saying to me, This is my daughter, Sav, whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. This is my son, Andrew, whom I love and I'm well pleased. This is my daughter, Megan. She is my daughter and I love her because she's my daughter and whom I'm well pleased. This is PJ, he is my son. I love him, and and I'm pleased with him. This is Faith, my daughter. I love her, and in her, I'm so pleased with her. This is Christine, my daughter. I love you. You know, this is what Jesus is saying. God is saying, he's affirming your identity by saying, you are my daughter, not because what you do. but I love you, and I'm pleased with you. I can come to the other side too then when you feel left out. For every single person here, you can adopt that phrase because through in Christ we are sons and daughters of God. In Christ, you and I are called children of God. So you can today say that phrase over yourself. I have to say that phrase over me sometimes when I feel like I need to perform. I have to say, Ashley, I am your daughter and you love me and you are just pleased with me. Knowing this position gives us strength. You know, Jesus' identity was tested all of the time. And in fact, straight after his baptism, he was led into the wilderness where his identity was definitely tested. Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights in the desert. I imagine his body was frail. He was hungry. I fasted 40 hours for the 40-hour famine or through high school. I was fatigued after probably 10 hours. But he was there for 40 days and 40 nights. And at this time, when he was at his weakest, this is what the Bible says, the tempter came and he tested Jesus. He says things like, if you are the son of God, tell the stones to become bread. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down and the angels will rescue you. And he shows Jesus all these beautiful kingdom before him and said, and I will give you, this is what the tempter said, if you would just bow down and worship me. At Christ's weakest point, his identity was being challenged and questioned by the statement of, if you are, if you are good enough. If you are, if you are, if you are, if you are. I don't know how many ifs you have heard from other people. If you can only just do that better. If only you can be like that. The tempter is saying, if you are the son of God, go and do these things. Like, prove it to me. That is this sense of performance, right? And he actually ties it. He ties it. Christ's identity to a performance value and the first performance value he ties it to is performance for provision. He said if you are the son of God tell these stones to become bread. You know Jesus is being tempted to exercise his divine power to meet his earthly need, his hunger. We all have human desires, they're not wrong, It's not wrong to have desires to to feed your family, to have a house, to live in, to go on a nice holiday, to wear nice clothes. These are not bad in themselves. It's only becoming problematic to us if we hear the voice constantly that says and tempting us to say, we can have all of these things if only you work harder. If only you can do that better. That's the only time it becomes problematic is this voice of the enemy that tells us you can do that you can have all of that by doing this and it pushes us away from relationships with God and our relationship with others because we're doing it we're performing it in our own strength it says things like you know if you your wife wants to go on a nice holiday why don't you just stay behind and work more that will please her you'll have a nice holiday. You know, its, it's sentences is like, you want a promotion? Okay, go on. Why don't you just butter up to your boss and do the things he's asking you to do, even if you don't agree with it? You'll sure get that promotion. It sounds like that. The voice of temptation comes to each one of us in this room. I'm not going to pretend to know how, but it does come. I guarantee it's, it's here all the time. It comes to you and expresses itself in different ways. So let's look at Jesus' response. In all of his response, he quotes back the scriptures, the word of God to the enemy. The first one about provision, he says that man shall not live alone, you know, on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the word of God. He's saying, I'm trusting God for my provision. So we need to trust God as our eternal provider the second temptation was linked to the performance to gain power you know the enemy takes him up to the top of the temple and says throw yourself down the angels will rescue that's what the bible says in psalms it says this go on jesus do it you know god will rescue you and jesus quotes back this the word of god and say it says do not tempt the lord your god so i'm not going to tempt my god we need to trust that god is the most powerful one So sometimes in life, we seek to perform, to, I don't know, grow our power so that we can wield things to happen, when in reality, we don't need to do that. We just need to trust that God is the powerful one. And lastly, the temptation moves from questioning his identity to questioning his purpose. It says that the enemy... The devil took him up to the highest point of the mountain and showed him this beautiful kingdom that's in front of him and said, Look, Jesus, if you, I'm going to give all of these things to you, all these beautiful kingdoms that you can see, if you would just bow down and worship me. And I, I kind of think, Come on, enemy, you're a little bit foolish. Um, what a fool, because Jesus knows his identity here. He knows that he is the Son of God. So in reality, he's just been said, You know, God just said, You're my Son whom I love, whom I'm well pleased. So all the inheritance of the kingdoms is already his. Why does he need to bow down and worship the enemy? But the temptation, the temptation comes. And Jesus knows his purpose is not to come just to save the perfect, things that are already beautiful and great, but his purpose is to come and remove the guilt of sin forever. His purpose is to do that so that we who accept him can worship God and that all can worship God. He sees the suggestions of the enemy, and in the end, he, at his time in the wilderness, he said, depart from me. Depart from me, Satan. For you, uh, it is written that to worship the Lord your God and to serve him only. Jesus was clear about his purpose. And for you and for me, we have the same purpose as Jesus, and that is to love God and to love others like ourselves. We are to bring the peace of God into all parts of society that we walk into, just like Jesus did. We are to be people of the reconciliation message. We are to point people to Jesus. So when we hear the voice that questions our purpose, when it tells us that we need to perform to prove our love and our, you know, our worth here on earth, we can say with confidence that, no, actually, God said, I am his daughter and he loves me, and he's pleased with me, so, and he's given me the great commission to go and do the same thing that Jesus has done, which is to tell people about this beautiful message of the love of God. So when the enemy comes and questions your purpose in life, like you're not good enough, you should be doing something else, your purpose would be high if you did this, you can go back and say, no, actually, this is what God said about me. In this seat... As we have been reading today through Ephesians, we've been looking at our true identity, and that is I am loved because of who I am, not because of what I do. I'm not loved for my performance. My mom doesn't love me. I know this, and we have fixed our relationship since then too. She didn't love me because I was a smart kid. She just loved me and wants a better future for me. So when the tempter comes to you and says, you know, are you the son of God? You say, No, actually, I'm established. I'm established in love. Ephesians tells me this. It says I'm established in God's love. And in this position, I know. I know that this love's helped me to surpass my own understanding, my own thinking of how I can prove and earn my love with God. In this the position, it says that it's the love that has the power to strengthen us and to give us life to the full. It is the love of God that gives us strength. It was the love of God that gave Jesus strength. It was the word of God, his truth, that gave Jesus strength in the wilderness and for the rest of his ministry. I'm going to invite Sarah to come up. We are, um, Sarah's going to sing a song for the next few minutes over us, and the lyrics of the song is going to come up on the screen. It captures probably the heart of this message. So I want to invite you, as Sarah sings, to reflect on what it is that you feel that you've heard today, to reflect on the truth that you are loved, not because of what you can do but because of who you are that God calls you a child that he has given you the inheritance of the kingdom and as you listen to this song this is also my prayer for you what Paul prayed I pray that out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and I pray that being rooted that we as a people are being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with everyone here, all Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide, how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you today will be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Thanks, Sarah. we invite everybody to... Just where you are, just close your eyes and bow your head. And as this, we continue. I'm going to invite the band to come up. This morning you have heard just a glimpse of what the love of God looks like. I want to pray for for us to pray for each other this morning. And probably the first group I'd like to ask is and invite into this moment is if you have been exploring God if you have been exploring this message and today there was something that spoke to you and you are saying I, I want to believe in God, I want to believe in this Jesus, this Son of God if that is you I, I'd love to give you an opportunity to respond and Every eye is closed and every head is bowed. My eye is the only one that's open and looking. If that is you, when I talked about the parable of you know, the, the lost sheep, you feel like God is chasing you. He's seeking you out. You feel like you do want to respond to his love. You want to know more of his love. And if this is your first time, and you want to say, yes, that's me. I, I want to pray with you. I want to introduce Jesus to you. So where you are, if that is you, would you put your hand up? i give you a couple of moments. God's love and invitation is always open. It's always there for you. If that is you, would you put your hand up where you are? If you have known God once and you've been so far away from Him, you've experienced His love once and you want to come back in His loving arms and know Him again, would you put your hand up? i give you an invitation to do that today. I'm going to pray with you and to say to you that God is always welcoming you home. If that is you, would you put your hand up where you are so I can pray for you? Second group of people I love to pray for today is if you have been living, you know God, you are in relationship with Him, but you have found that in these recent times, you have been living in this sense where your identity is being found in your performance, where you feel like you've been striving to to do more, to be better, to get more, and you're exhausted and you are tired. And today, i love to pray for you. i love to pray that, that you would know that God loves you, not because of what you do. He will make a way, he will provide, he will show you the path to walk on. But today you wanna to respond and say, I need to be reminded again that it is not because of what I do, but it's because of who I am. That he loves me. If that is you, would you would you stand where you are? Thank you. Polly standing with you. I struggle with the sense of performance all of the time. But I know that the the message, the Christian story, the the love of God has a stronger pull and I want to be pulled always to sit in that seat i give you some more time if that's you would you respond by standing thank you you invite us to open our eyes and there are people standing in the auditorium i want us to do something brave this morning and as andrew leads us in worship is would you gather in our prayer team those who know these people would you gather around your mates who are standing up and would you minister to them and pray over them and remind them of god's love for them thank you for being brave and standing So I invite you now, if you like to stand up, if you know the person who's standing, why don't you gather around them and pray for them. Thanks, Andrew. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.